Hello and welcome to From Panels to Pictures, the comic book, movie and TV podcast from thecomicrush.com. I'm your host Paul and before we begin this episode I'd like to take a moment to remind you that you can help thecomiccrush.com make more podcasts and content by supporting us on Patreon, where as little as $2 a month helps keep the site running and ad-free. Find all our podcasts, including Script and Pencils, our comic book interview pod, on Spotify or download and stream from the website. On Twitter, you can follow me on at Comic and The Comic Crush on at The Comic Crush. You can also like the ComicCrush.com page on Facebook. On this episode, I'm joined by actor, writer and director Keith Isles for a look at the first two episodes of Batwoman, which is now showing Sunday nights at 9pm on E4. Three years after billionaire Bruce Wayne and his vigilante alter ego Batman disappeared, his cousin Kate Kane sets out to overcome her demons and become a symbol of hope by protecting the streets of Gotham City as Batwoman. We discuss the show's place in the Arrowverse series of comic adaptations, the original Batwoman comics by Greg Rucker and J.H. Williams, and the possible directions the show could take. If you want to see Keith's films, you can find them on his YouTube channel, British Isles, that's E-Y-L-E-S, and you can also check out Rebecca Gold, also on YouTube, which features Keith in a prominent role. You can also check out Keith's Star Trek podcast, Let's See What's Out There, which is now available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Now, on with the show. So, Keith, welcome back to the show. It's lovely to have you on again for another episode of uh, From Panels to Pictures. Thank you for having me. It's always uh, fun to come and talk uh, comics, movies and TV shows. Love it. (laughs) Um, Today, we're going to talk about the new uh, CW show, Batwoman, which has just started on E4 and is playing on Sundays at 9pm. That's right. Yeah, so far we've just had two episodes um, while we're recording this. Yeah, and it, it was interesting because originally we, we did do a, a brief podcast on this for the first episode, but now having watched the second, we've decided to come back and, and just redo this just to talk more about those two episodes because one of the issues we had was that the pilot episode felt a little slight and a little brief in a way. Uh, and, and it felt like there was more to come for that opening story. And now that the second episode has given us that, we're in a much better position to, to talk about it more in depth. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. First question I've got, though, is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of these things, but it's always usually from a, a TV series or, or movie perspective. And um, uh, I usually go and, you know, find out about the source material once I've seen something. So uh, I don't know that much about the source material around Batwoman. So uh, are you able to give us a bit of a an overview on that? I, I can actually, because I am actually a huge Batman fan. And as part of collecting Batman over the years, I've also collected some of the early Batwoman stuff. Now, she originally appeared in a series called 52 which was a weekly comic book you can imagine trying to get that ready every week um a weekly comic book that ran uh, about 2007 2008 i want to say and and it was sort of a year's gap for dc where a lot of their heroes kind of went out of their title books and they had others come in and sort of fill that position in for you almost but part of that was it led into things like Infinite Crisis and then Final Crisis and then that led into Batman R.O.P. or dovetailed with Batman R.O.P. 
And then post-Batman R.I.P., we have the Batman Reborn sort of era, which was around the summer of 2009. That really was a great sort of period for the Batman comic books. We had Dick Grayson as Batman for a while, which was a fantastic series. And then over in Detective Comics, which was the lead uh, Batman book, it was the original uh, Batman comic book, we had Katie Kane, Batwoman. So she took the place of Batman in Gotham in a way. And it, it was quite an interesting period. One, because you had a lead character uh, who was gay being the lead in what was arguably one of the major titles at the time. You know, it's Detective Comics, DC. It's the flagship book, almost, of uh, Detective. And although it's sort of reputation sort of has gone up and down over the years as with all comic book titles it was a great book and it was a fantastic jolt for the series mm-hmm. so we had a writer called greg rucker who's fantastic at creating these kind of street level sometimes military um action series one of the better writers in modern serialized comics today He's also the guy that created Stumptown. I don't know if you've heard of that. That's a series that was running uh, last year on AMC, I believe, in the US. I, I hear it's very good. It's got Colby Smulders in it, uh, who played Maria Hill in, excuse me, in the Marvel movies. And Greg Rucker writes really kind of usually realism-based action crime series. So he then came came on to Detective Comics, and instead of creating that, he created a, a sort of more fantasy-edged or horror-edged series. Because within Batwoman, or within Detective Comics at the time, what you had was this organisation called The Religion of Crime, run by Alice, who we see in the show. And she is a kind of petulant, whimsical character, similar to how she is in the show, but not quite. And she ran this thing called The Religion of Crime, who go by this sort of prophetic book called The Crime Bible. So right away, you have all these really wonderful atmospheric elements coming through. It's sort of horror-edged, quite dark, quite... Not grim, but but quite fantasy-fueled. I mean, I, I don't know what you'd call it, really. It's, it's quite a bizarre take, because it is a book that featured creatures and monsters and not so much crime as such but this this kind of almost destiny based storyline all to do with Alice and of course we will go full spoiler on this show so if you haven't watched the first couple of episodes um we'll try and let you know when we're going to do spoilers but there, there will be spoilers here. And and it's a, a lot of the early parts of the book are to do with Alice's lineage and who Alice really is. Okay. And and does that line up with kind of where they, where they seem to be going with the series? Sort of. I mean, one thing the book itself does speak to is the militarisation element. There's always a lot of suggestion with the Bat books that Batman has a quasi-fascist tone. There is a lot of militarism in Batman. But given that it's a solo character, more or less, or it, it, uh, who's a billionaire, I don't see, if, if you're going to have that character fight crime, I don't see how else you would do it, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, of course, Batman's thing as well, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but is the fact that, uh, you know, 
he doesn't he doesn't actually use guns, right? Although I think they have broken that rule occasionally, right? <laughs> yes, that is a very core element of of Batman. Although in the early days, the very early days, there was a sort of gun-toting Batman running around, but the the modern Batman it, it, uh, doesn't use guns at all. Now, what's interesting about it is you have a character whose alter ego, whose real life version, if you like, came up through the military, which of course is very weaponized, is about using guns, um, or not, you know, not solely about using guns, but is very much that is very much in the core of the military. And I, there, there are interesting things that it speaks to, and I think almost the series could speak to about the militarization of the police, uh, which we'll get into as we as we go through the show. But yeah, the comic is atmospheric. It's a really wonderful book to read if you can track it down. The first arc is called Elegy. In fact, I did just recently write about the first arc on the Comic Crush. So if you go to thecomiccrush.com now, you'll be able to find a an article in a new section called Hey, Have You Read? Which is about uh, comics, arcs and stories that you might have missed. But do give that a read because that's just a quick kind of rundown on what that first arc is about okay and i've actually got a question relating to your um your logo that you have for this it, it, is is that batwoman in your in your logo or have i completely missed that your uh, panels that talk? is yes <laughs> sorry that <laughs> is it i i just thought it looked like it yes so uh okay interesting story okay that's the original batwoman back in i think I think the 60s they introduced a character called uh kathy kane whereas this version of batwoman is katie kane ironically enough the reason that kathy kane was introduced is because at the time there were of course a lot of rumors partly brought on by uh the werther report into the kind of moral practices of comics which then gave us the comic book code, that Batman and Robin were in a kind of homosexual relationship. Right. Yes. Yes, I I, I remember. I remember that. Uh, well, I, I wasn't there, obviously, but I remember learning about that in history of comics. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so that wouldn't do at all for the, the moral climate at the time. And... To kind of assuage that in uh, the Batman comics, they brought in Kathy Kane, and Kathy Kane became Batwoman and married Batman. Right, okay. So it's kind of interesting that, that years later, writers like Grant Morrison, Mark Wade, and Greg Rucker came on, and when they started using Batwoman, they, of course, reinterpret her as, as a gay character. Yeah, no, absolutely. There is a certain amount of... of Irony. Uh, yes, <laughs> there is. I, I'm just glad I got it right, because uh, when, I, when I first asked you about the logo, I thought, oh no, have I completely messed up? Is that not <laughs> not who that is at all? And uh, I'm sort of half right, yeah? <laughs> no, no, you're, you're, you're actually, you're completely right. That is the original, the OG Batwoman. So yeah, she's a great character, well worth digging into if you want to sort of start your journey with dc comics there that's a good place as any to to start you know it's very a representative character i would highly recommend digging into those books 
and uh, maybe ordering those online from any comic shop that's doing uh, mail order right now. Uh, you can get it in about four trade paperbacks right now, with Elegy, I believe, being the first one. And then they went on to the the sort of solo Batwoman series, which uh, met with some success. There was some controversy there because unfortunately the writer and artist had to leave the book because they disagreed vehemently with the direction that DC wanted to take it in, uh, which was they didn't want any of the major characters married. And the plan for the writer and artist was in fact to marry off Kate Kane and Maggie Sawyer, who's like a female cop character in the in the comic series. And DC at the time, it wasn't an, an anti-gay thing, they just didn't want their characters married. And I believe they were like sort of in the middle of current, trying to dissolve the marriage of Lois and Clark in the Superman books. So unfortunately, yeah, it, it, it caused some problems and, and the writer and artist had to leave the book. Okay. Was that sort of in the 90s, was it? That, that or, or later that was uh back in around 2013 oh okay quite recent yeah yeah relatively relatively now from my perspective i'm starting to watch this show having not watched a massive amount of the arrowverse series which is the, this is part of can you fill me in on a bit about that because i know you watch quite a few of the shows right uh, well, I did. I started to, um, but I'm not that up to date with them, um, and I'm I'm certainly not an aficionado on the on the Arrowverse. I mean, it, it's it, what I find quite interesting with DC is the Arrowverse or, or their their properties seem to be almost as convoluted as they are in in the comics world, um, because you've kind of got uh, you know DC are doing all sorts of things. You've got you know these these shows that are run by Greg Berlanti, which which are all set in a shared universe, and um, almost as, as sort of tried to do the the TV version of of what Marvel are doing with the MCU. But then you've got you know a number of shows uh, that aren't related as well. So you've got things like Gotham and Krypton, and then you've got Titans and Doom Patrol on on streaming. So again, they they seem to be sort of all over the place. But uh, as as far as the Arrowverse goes, that is actually quite concise. Essentially, you've got Arrow, The Flash, Supergirl, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Black Lightning and Constantine that all sort of fit within that. Plus, I think there's a couple of animated shows as well. It's it's quite good. It, it, It sort of started... Back in 2012, uh, where the CW network launched this, uh, obviously CW had, had, had come out of uh, the network had previously worked on the last few seasons of Smallville. And uh, in the small in Smallville, they had actually introduced a, a Green Arrow character, but obviously decided to sort of restart all of that. I mean, Smallville was very much um, certainly in its early, earlier days. It was a... Um, it was a powers show, but it wasn't a costume show. And uh, when they first set up Arrow, I think it's fair to say that at, originally Arrow was trying to do TV's take on uh, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy by having a um, uh, a very dark, very realistic set series. And uh, they actually got David Nutter, who had done the the pilot episode of Smallville. In fact, um, he came to do the pilot for Arrow, 
And um, the idea was to make it very realistic, very much set in the real world. Uh, they got some um, uh, Academy Award winning costume designer Colleen Atwood on board to actually uh, design the costume and again to try and make it um, uh, feel quite real world like. And um, it's funny because over over the seasons, the the show evolved and and changed quite a lot, both tonally and thematically. So, um, you know, where he sort of started off as as sort of a lone warrior, he he gradually uh, got more of a team around him and it went from being a costume show to introducing uh, powers and and metahumans and that's when... Uh, shows such as The Flash spun off from this and then we kind of got because of The Flash we kind of got into time travel and multiverse ideas Um, and then you know once we got sort of Supergirl in the mix as well it started going into the sort of alien uh, invader type stories and uh, we had magic and you know all sorts of stuff involved so it, it is one of those shows that has changed quite a lot Obviously, there's quite a lot of material out there because Arrow itself has been running for eight seasons and, you, you know, The Flash is only two seasons behind that and Supergirl a season behind that and Legends a season behind that and so on. So it's almost like the idea for Batwoman is going to be sort of the uh, replacement once Arrow finishes, I guess, to have that sort of dark lone hero again. What they've also done with this, which again is kind of a lower budget TV version of what Marvel have done uh, cinematically, is they've had a number of crossover TV specials where they're essentially TV movies where um, it's spawned multiple episodes of the different shows and they've all crossed over uh, using all those sort of characters together. And um, that's actually how Batwoman was first introduced into the Arrowverse is in 2018 they had an Elseworlds episode and in that uh, Oliver Queen and uh, Barry Allen and and the team um, have to go to Gotham City and that's when they first encounter Batwoman and and Kate Kane and uh, it's it's kind of this this show with its pilot and with its first episode seems to be sort of going back before that because in the in the Elseworlds episode, she, Batwoman is established. Uh, she has the the sort of signature red wig and red bat logo and all that sort of thing, which we haven't got to yet in this series. So, um, y- you know, I'm I'm not sure exactly how that's going to line up, but um, but anyway, I feel like I'm talking too much. That's kind of a very potted history of the Arrowverse so far. <laughs> No, that was great, especially for me. He's only seen very little of the the first couple of seasons of of Arrow, uh, which is largely to do with the kind of distribution of it. It's all on Sky over here, and um, you know, I don't I don't have Sky and various other things, so uh, it'll be nice to try and catch up with some of that. However, it's interesting that you bring up the point of it sort of you know falling off a little bit because I think part of the problem with a lot of these shows is that they're so long. Yes, yes. And and nowadays, 22 or 24 episodes a season is too much. I much prefer the kind of novel format that you see adopted by things like Netflix and uh, Amazon. 
Yes, I mean, I mean that is that is that is back down to a sort of business and, and, and financials thing in so much as network shows, which, you know, the Arrowverse, they are, they're on the CW network. It's still old network television, uh, if you like. Where they tend to make their money is as syndication packages that are sold worldwide once once they've aired. And, and in order to do that, they need to have a, um, a number of episodes to fill a certain... Uh, you know, amount of months or whatever of television, which is why they tend to go somewhere between the sort of 22 and 25 episode range on that. Whereas obviously the the streaming shows, they get a lot of money up front from the likes of Netflix or Amazon or whoever uh, the particular service is. So what that means is they can tell fewer episodes. And uh, you're right, they don't get so bogged down in storytelling because they're able to you know, a lot of those shows tend to have a a season arc which kind of works for the show. Whereas when you get into the sort of um, syndication model, the whole idea there is for it to be much more episodic. And, um, you, you know, I think the Arrowverse do a good job of kind of straddling that line because there are, of course, season arcs and character arcs. And, and, and you know, there is some serialized storytelling that goes on, but then... Some episodes are just a sort of freak of the week type episode or a revenge episode or, you know, or focusing on a particular character in the ensemble. So, um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's very strange, the sort of business side. And now the sort of consumption model has very much changed in the last sort of 15, 20 years, big time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's interesting to, to kind of watch as an industry, as it kind of shifts and changes but I, I do much prefer that sort of shorter format because now I, I find that 22 episodes, 24 episodes, just too long for me. I, I, I start to lose interest in it. As in that the stories are, aren't good, but you are talking about nearly 20-odd hours of television. And we're used to consuming it in different ways now and getting involved in the story in different ways. But by the by, this is what the show is. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, what, you know, obviously what's happening in the world at the moment. Uh, you know, a lot of things are on hold and nothing's being produced right now. And um, if ever there was a time to play catch up, <laughs> it, it, it's now really, you know, um, that's the good thing. A lot of these shows are now available um, somewhere. And um, you're, you're right, it's a hell of a lot of time commitment to uh, to sit and watch these things. But, you know, whilst we're having to stay indoors and... Uh, and, 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 you know, social distance and self-isolate and all that sort of thing. Um, you, you know, what better time to uh, to watch all those shows that you meant to catch and didn't, right? <laughs> yeah. If anybody's listened to this 10 years in the future, you won't believe what's happening in the, in the world today. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And I'm just trying to, obviously, it's horrible what's happening. Um, but I'm just saying, you know, I'm just trying to put a... A positive spin on it is at least you can catch up on, uh, you know, all the material out there, which is a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And times like this do present you with an opportunity to do that, as you say. And, and that is one one of the positives to come out of this, this sort of horrible situation is you can try and become more culturally engaged with the various things that you love. I mean, these 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 network shows as well, they've, they've got quite a 
tough order at the moment because um you know they're competing when you when you look at what's out at the moment uh you know they're competing with the likes of Westworld and Ozark and The Mandalorian and The Boys and you know those those streaming shows which you know they they first of all they have much less restrictions on those shows in terms of what they can do um but also um you know they they have of course much bigger budgets and and longer schedules as well to do all of this stuff so you you, you know hats off to Greg Belanti and his in his team that do the arrowverse i think considering you know what they have to work with they're trying to uh, churn out these these action drama shows weekly that all sort of tie in with one another and have character crossovers and all of that sort of thing i, I think for what it is they do they do a pretty good job and um you know they often get compared in bad light to like the well, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, for example, but um, that's not really comparing like for like apart from genre and, um, you know, spectacle, because obviously, you know, those movies have vastly more money put into them and, um, you know, years in which to make them rather than, uh, you know, trying to get an episode or 45 minutes of of television out every week for a season. So, um, you know, I always like to put these things in perspective and be as fair as possible, you know. <laughs> and that does bring up an interesting point that I do want to make, first of all, about Batwoman as a show. And that is that it, it does, on the surface, look a bit rushed and almost a bit cheap. Yeah. Oh, I, to- I I think that's I don't think that's an unfair statement at all. It, it's not the greatest show by any means. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's it's as a piece of entertainment. Uh, I quite enjoyed those first two episodes, to be honest with you, for what they are. From what you were describing, it sounds like it's been reasonably close to the source material is that fair to say relatively now one thing that interests me is do you recall in the show is her father ex-military yes he is he's a former military colonel i believe and this is this is make sure i've got this right this is the connection to batman right so doug ray scott in this plays jacob kane and have i got this right that jacob kane was the brother of martha kane who ended up marrying thomas wayne is that right yes although in the comics i believe that's something that's brought in in the second series of batwoman so there's there's batwoman in sort of 2009 onwards which lasts from about issue 854 of detective comics to 863 and then you move on to the 2011 stuff, which is the New 52. That was a sort of reboot of the entire DC Universe. So it did rewrite the character histories somewhat. So Batman, for example, had only been around for about six years in this new continuity. Batwoman's sort of lineage and family history got rewritten slightly. So I believe that's something that came in later. Okay, but they, they they do kind of establish that you know fairly early on in this um in this TV show, don't they? That's the connection with Bruce Wayne and and Batman. 
I know this is obviously completely separate from the Christopher Nolan films, but it, it kind of amuses me slightly that the backstory for this is that uh, Batman disappeared some years earlier before this show takes place. And of course, you know, uh, one could almost say it's like when he disappeared at the end of The Dark Knight Rises, perhaps. <laughs> I know that's not literally the case, but it's it's interesting how they've kind of framed it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You, you can make an argument for that, I think. And also they are using, it seems, some of the locations from Dark Knight. They are indeed, yes. Um, even though Even though these these uh, series are actually produced in uh, Vancouver. They're all filmed in Canada. Uh, they did do some uh, location work, particularly for the aerial shots and everything, which they did in Chicago uh, for some of the outdoor scenes, which is obviously where Christopher Nolan did indeed film the, the Dark Knight trilogy as well. Uh, Chicago sort of doubled for a realistic Gotham. I was lucky enough, actually, last year, back when we could travel, I did go to Chicago for the first time and uh, I, I was quite amused watching this that um, that a lot of the outdoor locations and definitely the, the aerial photography of what is supposed to be Gotham and is slightly, you know, CG enhanced to have like Wayne Industries and whatever in there. But it is definitely unmistakably the Chicago skyline and buildings and, and coastline. So, um, yeah, yeah, very interesting. That's amazing. And and that really is one of the things that helps the show. But there are a lot of places where it seems to kind of just fall short. And I think part of the reason that of that is, is they are trying to find their feet seemingly in quite a hurry in these early episodes. Like we have, as you say, we haven't got to the costume yet, which is one of the things that's getting on my nerves, it has to be said. <laughs> there's sort of no indication that they're going to be be making the costume and in fact you have the kind of luke fox character who seems to be doing everything he can to talk kate kane out of being batman yes yeah i mean let's let's be honest that character is very much there for comic relief and he's also i guess a link back to uh batman again because it's supposed to be the the son of lucius fox is that is that right indeed and that's canon to the comics um Although, can I can I just bring something up about canon and things like that? Uh, sometimes in comic book films and TV, better if the show or the film moves away from the established canon of the comics. Yeah, you've mentioned this before, which I find quite interesting. So you're saying when we're looking at, you know, particularly the live action, whether it's television or, or, or movies, um, yeah, you feel it's better if they don't stick so rigidly to the comics and just use that as a sort of um, uh, premise and iconography point and then sort of do their own thing. Is, is that right? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you look at the MCU in particular, they play very fast and loose with many aspects of the Marvel Universe, the comics universe. However, what they don't play fast and loose with is the core characterization. That's right, yes. And 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 you know obviously the casting and the look of the characters and everything you know they've done a very good job with with uh emulating that but putting it into a sort of realistic live action environment and um yeah and 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 I think to a certain extent they've done that quite well on the Arrowverse as well for the most part. Of course the 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 thing that I always find um fascinating that we're dealing with here and this is kind of 
you know, for, for someone who's not a comics aficionado, which I'm not at all, but I am a big fan of the, uh, you know, the superhero genre of film and television is, you know, one of the biggest differences seems to be between because obviously Marvel and DC are always getting comparisons and they have sort of analog characters which are quite similar and all of this sort of thing. But what I find fascinating with what they've sort of done on the most part with the MCU, uh, with with a few exceptions like Spider-Man and whatever, but um, it's not about secret identities. People know who they are, whereas obviously with DC and with the Arrowverse here, in particular that they're they're very much dealing with that whole you know superhero trope of a um a secret identity and you know the bad guys can't discover who they are and have they got a good disguise and all that sort of thing is 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 that fair or am i uh, missing a point there no you are a hundred percent spot on there my friend it is very much a thing of the mcu and i think it's partly because a lot of the characters, though this is also true of DC and they, they've gone the other way, but a lot of the characters in the MCU, if we were in the quote-unquote real world, uh, which is not always a, a, a thing I like to bring into my comics, but if, um, if we were in the real world, a lot of those guys would be public figures anyway. You know, Steve Rogers would be a known and accepted part of World War II history. Tony Stark would be a famous billionaire. Think about how famous billionaires are now. It's it's not like 50 years ago, where you'd, you'd struggle to recall the names of, you know, millionaires back then, because I'm not, not, not sure how many people were, were billionaires back in, in the days of World War II. I'm sure there were quite a few, but... Yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing—the thing that's always made me laugh, in particular, with 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 Iron Man and Tony Stark, and obviously, you know, that's where they started with the films anyway of the MCU and uh you know he, he literally outs himself at the end of that movie but what what always made me laugh there is if ever there was a perfect superhero disguise it's iron man because <laughs> you know you're completely in an iron suit where you're not going to leave any dna nobody can see any of your features or anything so it was like the perfect disguise but he, he threw it away anyway <laughs> so it's it's you know that always kind of slightly amused me where you've got other people wearing a pair of glasses and nobody knows the difference <laughs> and also i think part of it is to do with ego Oh, definitely in Stark's version, yeah. <laughs> but with the Marvel characters in general, because a lot of the characters do have quite large egos. I mean, you know, obviously Steve Rogers has a confidence in his abilities. Stephen Strange, Doctor Strange, is quite a narcissist. Tony Stark is quite a narcissist. Whereas what you see in the DC universe is more kind of that sort of billionaire socialism, if you like. Where, you know, oh, I'm going to actually going to use my money to write the problems, but I'm not going to do it by paying for housing for the homeless. I'm going to do it by putting on a, a pervert suit and uh, beating the crap out of people. So that that is, there, there is an element of that, at least, in the sort of uh, DC universe and especially in the, the sort of sub-bat universe. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, no I mean, I mean, I always thought, I know we're not here to talk about this, but the, the whole... Um, uh, Captain America, Steve Rogers thing. I always thought that they handled that whole thing, which you know, 
when you think about it, is kind of ridiculous. But the way they handled it in those films really, really made it believable and um, made it sort of make sense, even down to the costume. So, yeah, it was it was kind of very well handled. But we're obviously not here to talk about Captain America. I appreciate that. So um, I, I do apologize for the slight tangent. <laughs> No, 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 but it, it speaks to where we're going. Now, with this show, they've brought in the Alice element. As a villain, I didn't find her as fascinating in the comics as the actual thing she represents, which is this religion of crime, which they, they seem to have abandoned in the show. There's no religion of crime. There, there seems to be... Uh, Alice is, is kind of a sort of street-level revolutionary almost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's clearly a lot more to come here, I think. You, you know, you've kind of got... You know, she plays it pretty unhinged and, and crazy. And, uh, you know, she just seems to have a lot of um, henchmen that are wearing, uh, you know, your neck stroke Donnie Darko uh, rabbit masks to, to obviously tie in with the whole Alice in Wonderland um, motif that they're going with. But... Uh, there was a lot of things revealed very early on in this, literally in the first two episodes, which um, I would have expected them to sort of try and egg out for some of the season. But again, this might be because we're dealing with um, uh, essentially network television as opposed to streaming shows. I don't know. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that, as you say, I mean, in the comics, they kind of reveal Alice's identity quite early on, but not definitively. Right. So she puts the suggestion in everyone's head that she might be a particular character. Uh, we won't say who. We don't want to be too spoilerific, but that is something in the comics that's kind of revealed early, but it's left there for a while. And then there's a series of flashbacks. I mean, they are quite good at following this sort of flashback structure, which is something that the first Arrow show set up. Am I right? That's correct. Yeah, I mean, the shape of the first arrow season was uh you sort of have a and b storylines so the the a storyline took place in the present with oliver queen uh you know being this hooded vigilante uh you know batman with a bow if you like seeking justice on people who had let you know starling city down and um you know fighting the crime against it and then you would have a flashback which was to the years that oliver queen spent basically as a sort of spoiled billionaire playboy brat who gets sort of stranded at sea and 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 on a sort of isle, remote island and it's how he becomes from being that sort of um you know spoiled rich kid to being training himself to be this uh this calculated vigilante as, as the arrow so and that kind of worked well for the first five seasons of of the show because obviously that was kind of the rhythm that it had and they used to do some very nice transitions actually between the scenes to sort of jump to the the, the backstory and uh, which was essentially always Stephen and Mel wearing some sort of wig <laughs> um, and 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 you know coming coming up to the present and um, obviously sort of after season five they they'd come full circle with that and uh, I have to admit that was kind of when I sort of stopped watching it anyway because the show had become a bit um, a bit of a parody of itself by that point to be perfectly honest i feel with this that as i say they're not quite finding their feet yet 
with the kind of structure of the show. I mean, I do think that the Alice character has kind of set herself up as a bit of an unreliable narrator, if you like, of her story. So a little bit like, you know, sort of Heath Ledger's Joker did in, in so much as you don't really know whether to believe the story she comes out with or not. And yeah, in terms of the finding its structure, I mean, I, I do quite like the fact that they're doing, again, they've got the trope of a voiceover, but what we learn from that is that actual Kate Kane is writing and not typing, but actually writing, handwriting a uh, a journal for, um, uh, you know, if Bruce Wayne ever comes back just to sort of chronicle what she's doing. And um, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's fairly simplistic, but I think they handle it quite nicely. Yeah. And it's interesting they pick up on that because that is almost like a... Um a continuation of what Bruce does as a character in the comics. It, there is this thing sort of early on where he's encouraged by his father to write things down to try and work them out and work through his problems in life. And, and that that is one of those things that's that's kind of remained part of the canon. I mean, you, you, I, I first saw it in Frank Miller's Year One, where you have the handwritten journals all over that book. That's really great. So there is something within the canon for that so it's it's good to see it continue to play out here in the show yeah yeah no absolutely um you know i i i don't think the show is bad but if if i had to sort of criticize something about it it would be that kate kane has become quite familiar with a lot of the bat equipment very easily like, we haven't really seen her mess up with anything yet. Maybe that's to come, I don't know. But, you know, she seems to know how all of this equipment works and, you know, what to do with it. And also, you know, she seems... I know she went off and got a load of military training, which I guess is what can sort of say that she knows how to handle herself and how to fight and whatever. But obviously with... With the Arrow show, the thing they did so well there is, is I mean, first of all, S- Stephen Amell is, is you know, a dude that's in quite envious. He's a dude that's in fairly good shape and looks like he knows how to handle himself anyway. But they actually did make a point with that backstory of showing that, um, you know, he, he, he really didn't know what he was doing to start with. He couldn't fight. He couldn't fire an arrow. He couldn't do all of this stuff. And if I had to say something was missing from this, it it does seem at the moment that she's, you know, totally kick-ass and, you know, a bit of a, a, you know, an expert crime fighter already. Um, But as I said, we've only seen, you know, what, an hour and a half of it so far. So we've got 23 episodes or however far they got before the production ceased. So, um, I'm sure there's a lot of time to to sort of flesh that out, but it that that's a bit of a minor nitpick of mine. I, I don't know. Am I being unfair, Paul? Um, I I don't know. I think Kate's weaknesses really is that she's not as emotionally adept. Okay. I I think that's really the, the real weakness for her, and that she sometimes lets her emotions get the better of her. But she's carrying some big ghosts, isn't she? I I don't want to spoil this again. I know know you don't want it to be spoilery, but between what she's carrying with her backstory and what she's carrying with her love life, there's two things going on there which are quite sort of emotional 
anchors for the um, for the character, right? Or turmoil, should I say, not anchors, emotional turmoil for the character. Yeah, there's a lot of that that in there. Um, in the comics, there is a an interesting relationship with the with the father as well, because he becomes by the time the, the comic series starts, he is a kind of Alfred. He's the one sort of training her and supplying all her equipment via sort of back channels in the military and he approves of her mission so i'm interested to see if they'll bring that into this this kind of plot line yeah yeah because at the moment um it's very much luke fox that's that's filling that sort of alfred role and um you know at the moment uh jacob uh her father is is kind of a oblivious to the the whole well i mean at the at the moment and this, i don't think this is a spoiler but at the moment the world actually thinks that she's batman right she hasn't sort of come out as being batwoman yet right yeah and that's part of the the kind of stuff that irks luke fox because he's kind of angry that she's giving people false hope that batman's returned to gotham now one thing that interested me about this from a character point of view I'm not sure that I, I necessarily buy her wanting to join her father's organization because at the beginning we see her training um, with the Native American guy. I assume it's somewhere in Alaska or somewhere like that. She's training to become what they call a crow, which is this sort of military force that's contracted to aid the police force in Gotham who can't seem to handle the crime levels now that Batman's gone. Now, there's traditionally in the comics, there has been a sort of push and pull with the police force and, and Batman. So I don't necessarily buy that part of it, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I felt that that was very um, much, you know, kind of their way of trying to do you know, when Bruce went and trained with the Legion of Shadows, well, uh, y y you know, <laughs> and disappeared, you know, and, and did his sort of, um, uh, you know, training and, and whatever. They tried to sort of imply that the last decade or so, I guess it's about a decade, is it, um, that, uh, that, that Kate's been off training. But um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's a bit because because what are they called the is it called the crows that he's set up, isn't it? To try and uh, fill the gap that's been left at Gotham since Batman left. I don't know. I mean, it, the, the, there's a lot to unpack here because also you've got the whole um, you've got the whole family dynamic because because every every CW show, you know, it, it's 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 trying to get that balance between essentially an action fighting series but also a um a soap opera <laughs> you know they've always got that kind of soapy element going on with them as well and uh you know family dynamics and relationships and all that sort of thing and of course you know um she's got quite a lot going on on that side as well hasn't she as well as the sort of main um uh batwoman story yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, I hope they manage to find that balance a bit more successfully in in the sort of upcoming episodes. And and I hope that the show is actually... I, what it could really do with is room to breathe a bit. Yeah, no, I agree. It moves along at a crazy pace. Um, 
uh, I mean, when we talked about this before, we were we were really saying that uh, you, you know the, the the pilot episode felt like it should have been a two parter, and now having seen part two, I I feel it kind of was, although obviously clearly they were filmed some months apart, even though you know they're supposed to be four days apart or whatever because um the thing that always gives it away when you see a pilot episode and then you see the the first regular episode it's always hair hairstyles they 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 always you can always tell those subtle differences that that aren't quite the same and uh you know on this it's not so bad because it's like four days later or whatever somebody could have a haircut but um the one i the one i remember that was really jarring or was for me anyway is i was a big fan of lost a massive fan of lost but the second episode picks up exactly where the pilot which was a pilot movie at the time a long episode um ended and um uh josh holloway who plays sawyer his hair, <laughs> literally between the two, has grown substantially. Uh, yet it takes place literally like thirty seconds later. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but I did I did notice some um, some slight, you know, uh, they're not continuity errors as such, but you can just notice that there's been a little bit of time between the two. The other thing I noticed actually, and I don't know whether you felt this, is I felt. Ruby Rose, who plays Kate Kane stroke Batwoman, she seemed a lot more comfortable in the second episode with the role than she did in the pilot. Did you feel that? Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing to watch, actually. I, I did get a sense of that, yeah. She, she seemed just a lot more... Um, well, I mean, frankly, her acting seemed better in the second episode to me than it did in the first episode. And, um, you know, pilots are funny things because... People are always trying to find their feet. They're trying to establish look and feel. Actors are, are becoming, you know, comfortable with their characters, etc. So, uh, it, like like all filmmaking, it's not an exact science. And um, what I'm saying is is quite nitpicky, but it's just observations that uh, that I noticed. No, and I, I I've got to say I do like Ruby Rose's uh, acting. I, I like I really liked her in her, her Orange Is the New Black arc that she had. She was really good in that, and uh, quite enjoyed her in the in the John Wick sequel. Even though she didn't have any lines, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, to play a part that's the, um, you know a deaf woman, and to do that within an action film and be part of the action, you know, that takes that takes talent, and I, I really do like Rue Rose as a as a personality so i'm hoping the show continues i'm, I'm going to say something that might come off a bit not controversial but a bit rude but I, I don't mean it to my feeling is that if they've had to stop production on this show due to everything that's going on at the moment that might actually do it a world of favors uh, yeah, you mean it might give them time to sort of catch catch up with themselves, yeah, in terms of development and you know future scripts and 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 you know behind the scenes production type stuff, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I really think that might be something that will do this show a, a massive favour. Yeah. No, it, it could well do. Um, I mean, obviously, it's very unclear what's going to happen with any of this stuff uh, currently as we record this now. I'm not even sure how far through 
the production of season one they were with this because obviously the states is quite a bit ahead of us with this in terms of broadcast and i believe they've got up to about uh, 16 or 17 episodes over there at the moment out of the proposed 23 so um i don't know how much of the rest is still in you know is held up in post-production or whether it even got shot that's difficult to know i don't know yeah and they never they'll never quite come out and, and say oh we're actually we're this far you, you know they, they don't really want to give you any clear answers but uh, my hope is that even if the show ends its season early that then when it comes back for season two we'll get something that's sort of slightly retooled and allows the the actors and the characters to kind of live up to the full potential that's there yeah no absolutely and um i think it's i think it's important to mention as well that uh, in terms of these first two episodes uh they were written by caroline dries who's the kind of showrunner that berlanti's put in charge of this series uh her pedigree sort of goes back she she wrote quite a number of uh smallville episodes from sort of season five onwards uh she also worked on melrose place the vampire diaries um, you know, as writer producer on those, and then uh, the episode was actually directed by uh, Marcos Siega. Again, he has done quite a lot of episodic television out there. Um, episodes of Cold Case, Shark, The Nine, True Blood, Dexter, Vampire Diaries, The Following, Blind Spot, uh, You, The Passage. So they, they've got some quite good credits and also i've noticed that um all of the berlanti arrowverse shows he uses composer blake neely to do the uh the theme musics and scores for them so uh you, you, you know i i think you, 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 the, all these people deserve some credit and mention because um they're working with a lot of constraints and a you know a moderate budget and you know, they, they, they get these things out, and I, I just always think it's worth mentioning. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I mean, they're all very hardworking people, and, and they do a great job, especially considering the amount of, uh, as you say, constraints that they've got. And uh, it, it's a good thing you, you kind of know a lot more about the behind-the-scenes stuff than I do, which is something we're going to kind of talk about in the uh, Patreon-only section of the podcast. But I think for the show for now... That's pretty much all we've got time for. Keith, I want to thank you for coming back and doing this again. It's lovely to have you on another episode, and I hope to have you on uh, again in the future. I'm sure we'll be talking plenty more uh, over the, the coming weeks as, as sort of lockdown goes on. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm always, I'm always happy to come back. I, I love talking about this stuff, as you know. I guess my one question about how they're going to sort of figure this out is um, there is a major five episode crossover event uh, coming called Crisis on Infinite Earths based on the the, the, the famous, um, uh, you know, comic book graphic novel series. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued as to how they're going to pull it off because four of the five shows are currently here in the UK on Sky, as you previously mentioned. But of course, Batwoman is on E4 and they're also playing at slightly different, you know, times in the schedule. So I don't know quite how they're going to pull that off, <laughs> you, you know, with it being on on totally different networks. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I wonder if it's better for them to kind of treat it as a separate rights thing and buy it as a as a sort of 
extended movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, well, for the previous stuff, they have actually released them on on, um, home media as a sort of essentially like four-hour movie type thing. Uh, The one they did for Invasion, by the way, was really good. Um, Some have been better than others with these these crossovers. I wish I'd seen that because I loved the invasion storyline uh when i was a kid and i was reading comic well back then when i was reading comics i've never stopped reading comics but that that storyline was great so i'm interested to see what they do do with it so at some point i do want to go go back and, and take a look at that yeah but i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with batwoman for the time being i mean it's had some pretty scathing reviews out there but i never take any notice of that sort of thing i like to make up my own mind and these first two episodes were enjoyable enough for me to um to at least give it give it a few more and and see where it goes yeah definitely i always think you should you should make up as you say as you do make up your own mind about these things obviously the only reviews you should be listening to are are ours um No, I'm kidding. But yeah, do do make up your own mind. And I hope you're, if you've listened to this tonight, you're intrigued enough to go and check out the show. E4, Sunday nights, 9pm. Uh, Keith, thank you very much. For those of you who are our patrons, and you'll be joining us uh, in just a second on Patreon, because we'll be talking more to Keith for for an extra few minutes for some bonus content for you. And But for now, to everyone else, thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Follow us on Twitter at The Comic Crush, like the comiccrush.com page on Facebook, and check out thecomiccrush.com every week for new comics content. And you can follow me at Manry Comic on Twitter and Instagram. Our Script and Pencils podcast and our comic book film and TV podcast from panels to pictures are available to stream or download from thecomiccrush.com or available on Spotify. If you like our site and our pods, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where just $2 per month helps keep the site running and ad-free. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on The Crush.